Welcome to the New York Mandate podcast, where we take a look at the costs and consequences of New York's COVID-19 vaccine mandates. I'm Amy, and in this series, I'll be talking with people who have been directly affected by mandates about their perspectives and experiences. I'm here today with a teacher um, who taught middle school in uh, New York public schools. Yes. And is no longer doing that. So we're here to talk about a a fairly complex story that you have. Um, your your situation is is kind of complicated. Um, so why don't you why don't we just start by you explaining what happened um, in your case with the vaccine mandate? Okay, so um, I want to say mid August of twenty twenty one, there was talk of a mandate coming into effect. Um, I went to my doctor's right before I was going away to Uzbekistan, which is my fiance's home country. And, um, I was, you know, questioning and we were kind of going back and forth and she was saying, you know, you can take the first dose, um, for when you go overseas and you could take the second dose and you come back, but let's talk about what you're doing with your health and like how protected you'll be and make a decision. So we basically went through and we talked about um, my diet, my autoimmune condition, um, the things that I've been doing so that my immune system is up, the fact that I have not caught COVID yet at that time. Um, And I was doing things like at the time I was doing um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy once or twice a week. Um, I was doing acupuncture. Uh, I was exercising and getting movement in every day. Um, I was eating a low inflammatory diet. So she was like, I don't see a problem or I don't see you being at high risk of getting severely ill. Um, So when you come back, that is when we'll talk about you getting the first dose of the vaccine. So I went away, I went to Uzbekistan. The night that I landed, um, I ended up catching sand fleas, which is like kind of parasitic. So I had to go to the doctor and it was interesting because it was just, it was a shock to my body. And when I did come back from Uzbekistan, I took a COVID test to go back to work and I felt kind of jet lagged. I've never flown that far. I've never done a 24 hour kind of flight against time. So I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm probably just jet lagged, but let me just go take a PCR just in case so that I don't bring it into work. Lo and behold, um, my PCR test came back positive, whereas my fiance's came back negative. So we had to notify the principal. um, And since that we didn't step foot in the school, it didn't affect the school. They didn't have to start saying anything about cases. And I had to stay home and I had to quarantine for 10 days. So while I was away, um, there was also a series of union meetings that we had to sit on, even though contractually we were off. And when I got to Uzbekistan, I didn't have a phone that I could buy a SIM card for. And if that you do not have their country code, you cannot use their free Wi-Fi, like in the parks and whatnot. You can only get free Wi-Fi when you're in the hotels um and then there was a portion that i went to called yangabad where there was just there was no service that we had for four days we were in the mountains um i I believe it was the border of uzbekistan and kazakhstan so i come back to this whirlwind of information and i 
go into work September 20th and it's basically like I had a week to make this decision on whether I should take the vaccine or not. So um, my principal pulled me aside and he was like, your situation and your predicament is very different than other people. He was like, you know, I read up on your condition and I'm aware that with the antibodies that you already produce and taking the vaccine, like this may be a conversation you wanna have with your doctor and see if there, if it's a good idea for you to take it now or if it's a good idea for you to request a medical exemption through the union and see what they can do for you and how they can help you. Um, so with that being said, I basically, I went to the doctors, I took an antibody test. I did have, an, I did have um, antibodies and she did write a note saying that it is recommended for me to wait 90 days for the vaccine and then to retest to see if I was eligible at that point. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, I guess the beginning of my journey for a decision that I had to make. Right, right. So, um, so I went to the doctor, she wrote me a note. I applied through the UFT, I applied through the DOE site and um, I was on October 2nd, which was a Sunday at about 7 p.m., I received an email saying that I had an exemption for 30 days, not 90 days. So um, I found out that Sunday night that I was like not allowed in the building. Like, thank God I took home on that Friday my laptop to teach remotely. I took home like my grade books. I took home just, I was like, just in case so that I could work with these students. Let me take home what I need to teach from home because I really don't know what's gonna happen. Um, also during that time, both of my parents caught COVID and um, my stepdad had to be rushed to the hospital because his levels dropped really bad. So I even remember on that weekend um, telling my principal like, hey, like my stepdad, he's in the hospital. My mom, she's home. She's sick. She can't even cook for herself. Um, I just had COVID. So I'm letting you know that I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know you know, but I have to worry about my family and I have to bring my mother food. And I have to make sure she's okay. And I have to like see what's going on. I said, because I don't really know if my stepdad's coming out of the hospital. So, you know, he was like, we'll figure it out. So it kind of, even that weekend and then receiving the information, it kind of like in a way worked itself out. So Monday, um, I basically found out that I was going, when I signed on that I was going to be streamed into my classroom and there's going to be a substitute teacher who was going to make sure the students were working and that's how I was going to teach um remotely for a month and then kind of go from there uh I then also called the union while that I was teaching and I was like hey I was like I'm just curious um where why did I not get my 90 days? I was like, because an arbitrator does not have a medical degree. So I have a doctor's note and I have a positive antibodies test from somebody with a medical degree who knows my health history, who is saying that I really should have a 90 day exemption. So why did I only get 30 days? And the representative was like, that's a really good question. Can I put you on hold? So I was like, yeah, sure. So she gets back from, 
you know, talking to whoever she was talking to on hold. And she was like, there are legalities of what needs to be in the letter. And you were missing, um, you were missing some sort of legality. So she was like, just to let you know, come October, they are going to be removing the right to appeal if you're denied. So as a teacher, when you put in for some sort of an exemption with our union collective bargaining agreement, we do have the a right to appeal within a certain time window with the necessary information and she was like you're gonna want to do this sooner than later so you don't lose your right to appeal so I go I get another antibodies test my antibodies triple then I have a second doctor who also writes a supporting note saying that he also thinks that I should not be taking the vaccine or I should wait until my antibodies go down based on my condition so I reapply with this note and um, what happens is about 10 days before my before that my um, I'm trying to think of the word that you use before that my um, my exemption is up they I find out that I'm locked out of the system there was a glitch there was a mistake and they accidentally locked me out from me having access to reapply so I have to email all of these people and I have to say, you know, like I'm accidentally locked out. I was placed on the non-compliance list. I'm actively working right now. What's going on? I need to get this paperwork in before the deadline so that I have a job. So, you know, I get the whole like, oh, I'm sorry, you're unlocked. So I submit the paperwork and I was denied. Um, I want to say like the first Monday in uh, November, I find that I'm denied. So now um, I'm not allowed to contact the kids. I get this email. I'm not allowed to do all these things. I'm not allowed to step foot in the school. Um, it was very hard not being able to say goodbye to my students, not knowing what's going on, um, not giving them like a sense of stability and continuity of like, I don't know if I'm coming back kind of thing. So I reapplied a second time because I could not appeal. And they basically said, um, you know, you applied two times in a row and you're outside the window of, um, you know, needing an exemption. So you can either take the vaccine and or within seven days, you can agree to do this. You can sign a waiver stating that you'll basically waive your rights to sue and you will hold your position um, we will hold your position and if you do not take the vaccine and the vaccine mandate is not up by September 5th, then unfortunately you are going to be, you're going to sign a paper that's voluntary resignation. I'm sorry, you're talking about September of the next year. I'm yeah, trying, so to, I'm trying to understand the timeline. Oh, of so course. This, this all took place in like September, October, October of 2021. 2021. And then they were telling you that you had basically a year a year to yeah if you, they're gonna they're gonna hold your position for mm -hmm. a year if you sign this leave without pay thing okay. and if you sign this leave without pay document um you will you'll go you'll be placed on unpaid leave and you will supposedly still have health care but you cannot sue and you have to take the vaccine if that the mandate is still in effect come september of se September of September 22. And then if you still choose not to take the vaccine, then you have to sign something that's a voluntary resignation paper. Did you ask what would happen if you didn't sign that? So a lot of people are not signing. And basically um, what had happened was I wanted to take one more antibodies test. I found out on 
the Wednesday before Thanksgiving that I had six days to make this choice. The same day on um, November 24th, we found out that um, my fiance's parents, they had COVID. They lived in Pennsylvania in the Poconos and they took a turn for the severe worse. So we spent Thanksgiving trying to call an ambulance um, to get them sent to the hospital. And there was an issue with it. So the 26th, we drove to Pennsylvania to advocate for the parents and to make sure that there was no issues in getting them into the hospital. So the 26th to the 30th was spent driving back and forth to Pennsylvania because my fiance's father took a severe turn for the worst and he actually passed away on November 30th, 2021 at about 5 p.m. So I didn't ask about the form. I just decided in that point that I was like, I don't have the information. I'm just, I was like, I'm not signing this. I was like, I'm not reading through this. I'm not signing this. I'm not signing away my rights to sue. Um, and from that point, I just kind of was like, I'm going to see what happens if the mandate gets lifted, um, if we end up staying on leave without pay, if I get terminated. Supposedly, there was talk at the time that there was a lot of people not signing because they did not like the idea of waiving their rights for something that they felt like they should have gotten an accommodation or an exemption in. I'm sorry about your father-in-law. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was it was a very it was a hard time. Um I remember too basically his mother um she was released the next day and we realized that in the winter in the Poconos by herself she couldn't um you know, she couldn't be there. So one of, again, timing and timelines, um, we just made a decision as we picked her up. Like we picked her up from the hospital and we were like, we're gonna take you home, you're gonna pack your clothes and you're coming back to Brooklyn, you're gonna live with us and we're gonna figure it out until you get better. So it was definitely, um, you know, it was a lot of hard times. It was a lot of tough decisions to make. It was a lot of, you know, kind of like drop of a hat decision that was just, you really had to rely on your intuition and um, you know, every choice that we've made, um, it kind of, it leads us to where we are right now. How were your own parents? How did they fare with COVID? They ended up recovering. Um, my stepdad came out and then they started to really take their health more serious. Like they started doing the hyperbaric and they started seeking alternative methods. And, um, you know, they are thankfully they're doing much better. And because of these changes that they've made in the past six months, they both say they feel healthier now than even before they caught COVID. Um, you know, it's just, it's a shame that with my fiance's parents in that case, it did not kind of phase out the same way, but, um, this is, this pandemic is affecting everyone differently. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You dealt with a lot of the medical aspect of it absolutely yeah. yeah it was and positives and negatives like you know going back full hindsight like myself um myself testing positive with covid and just kind of you know making sure that i didn't get my fiance sick he did not test positive when i had it um but also understanding like almost like nutrition wise and health wise, like what needs to be done. Um, not saying what goes on in my body is a good way to necessarily like prescribe and advise for others, but to like have the conversation and be like, this is what I was feeling. And this is what I feel felt like I needed. Like maybe you want to have this conversation with your doctor and see if this is a good idea for you. Um, and to see if this is a good 
I guess, route or like uh, maybe like lifestyle path for you to take. So mm -hmm. that was very helpful too um, for the people who surrounded me. Right, right. And you recovered quickly. You, you didn't have a, a severe case of COVID yourself. Yeah, I really didn't. I did have one day where I was, like I said, I was really tired. I didn't know if it was just really bad jet lag or if it was actual COVID symptoms. I would say that like once I was past the infection stage, I did noticed that I had um I had a little bit of like a long COVID cough and I had like a little something going on with it seems like my heart like it just seems a little off from times or like maybe it's like an electrolyte thing but the hyperbaric has been very helpful with that mm. um and it's it's low pressure it's not in the hospital it's not really like a dive it's kind of it almost looks like a reading nook and it has wi-fi in there so it, you know it's not a terrible thing <laughs> right so um when when it came to um, being terminated from your job, when, when were you informed about that? So that came, I would say I received an email on February 2nd of 2022, just saying that I did not sign the leave without pay and I did not, there's also another option called severance. I did not take the severance option. So because that I did not comply, I was going to be terminated on February 11th of 2022 and my health insurance was going to be cut. Right. So how long were you working for the DOE? Um, I was on payroll until November 30th. So basically like once the cutoff for signing whichever waiver, um, since I did not take it, then I was taken off payroll and I was basically on the leave without pay option until so i would say for that december january so for about like two and a half months i had health care um and i wasn't getting paid which i would not expect to get paid because i wasn't going to work but um mm. yeah so about yeah about that time but when did you start when did you start teaching um i've been a teacher for I've worked for the DOE, I'm at nine years and 11 months, so just short of that 10 year where like you get all of those, you get like the vetting and you get like the, you know, all of the benefits that you get at retirement age. But I did teach for about three or four years on Long Island before I came out to New York City. Mm -hmm. And this was all middle school? Um, no, all levels. All I did, levels. yeah, I did elementary, I did, um, I did high school, I did middle school, and I worked all with um, I worked all with ENL population. So I'm dual certified in art, and I'm dual certified in ESOL, which is English speakers of other languages. So I found that the two kind of like they go hand in hand, and um, the visual learners like they do really well with building academic language through the use of art. Mm -hmm. ENL is. ENL's um, English as a new language. So yeah, so basically people who um, either they were born into families where families are from different countries and the English is not spoken at home, or um, or if students came from other countries to the U.S. and they don't have English, um, they would receive uh, language services that help them build up their academic literacy in English. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. New York is. Um really the place to be in that kind of field, right? You have so many different kinds of people, different kinds of families, kids in the Absolutely. school system. 
Yeah, it's really great. It's really, especially too in our school, just to see like even the transitional bilingual programs that they have um, in the school that I'm in. They have it in multiple different languages. Um, and just even seeing like the cultural responsiveness, I feel like of people in New York City versus, um, you know, just some other random suburbs I may have been to outside of just even the tri-state area. Mm -hmm. Just the services that are available and the funding that's placed into it. Right. Yeah. yeah. How did you get into that? So I went to, I graduated high school in 2005. Um, I went to art school. Initially, I was going for jewelry design and I was born legally blind and I was not doing well in jewelry because my eyes were so bad that even with contacts, I was leaving solder gaps in the gallery jewelry. So I was like, hmm. So I had to really think about it. And I was like, I really love art. I really love jewelry. Um, a friend of mine when I was in college was like, switch over to art education. She was like, you know, and you can always do like your minor in jewelry if you want. So I switched over to art education. I started taking the theory classes. I started taking the psychology classes. I started working with children and just like seeing them actually feel like they were doing magic on the paper. Like when they would mix a color and they would be like, oh my God, blue and yellow makes green. This is phenomenal. And I just fell in love with it. And I was like, I really, I was like, I want to teach. This is cool. Like the other thing, it was fun, but this is also, it also seems like a more stable job too. So I was like, okay. I was like, there's all these possibilities. I can build something in the summertime. I can teach in the, during the school year contractually and do my thing. So I graduate and when I graduate, there was a hiring freeze in New York City. So I went back to Long Island to pretty much see what I can find out there. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do for my master's, but I started working in a school where the population was Dominican, Polish, and Haitian students. And it was just so interesting to me, just kind of like the three starkly different cultures and just like how they all kind of interacted in this hub. And one thing that I found was that the students that, because there was also monolingual English speakers, but the students who were learning English, they paid attention the most in art and they showed they their projects were the most successful that like aligning with the components, I would say, because we can't really the argument is always art is really hard to measure. So we teach in terms of like components and skills and, you know, demo based on that. So the students who really didn't have the English, like they were really paying attention to be like, let me make sure I can get this right. Um, and then I also saw just the astronomical and the exponential growth in language and even socializing. So I was like, okay, I was like, there's something here. So I applied, um, I would say in 2011 or 2012 to Toro College for my master's in science in ESOL. I took the test. Um, I loved it so much that I finished my master's in a year. Like I was just taking all these classes and I was like, this is so great. So um, then once I got hired, I, there was still a freeze. It was very hard to find work. I was waiting for the ENL certification to go through. Um, so I was working on Long Island. And then one day um, I received an email from the school that I was in for 10 years. They didn't lift the freeze for art teachers, but they lifted the freeze for math, ELA, and ESOL teachers or ENL teachers. So I popped up in the system and they needed an art teacher and it just it kind of worked out. Right, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so do, do you still do some of your own artwork? Yes, actually right now I was like, you know what? I was like, I could buy a bookmark. I was like, or I could take the paper I have. And I was like, I'm gonna make myself a bookmark for some of the book clubs that I'm in right now in coaching circles. 
So just a lot more like I my style definitely um I like doing more kind of like design based work. Like I spoke um when I was in school, I did general art and then for elective I did principles of design and I showed students different designing careers um because a lot of students they just think like okay this is art class like i'm either going to be a famous painter or i'm not and i'm like it's mm -hmm. everywhere art is everywhere yes yeah, yeah so yeah. just showing them the creative aspect of like how we're creating from the second we wake up and we're creating almost like our identity for that day with like how we choose to do our hair how what we choose to wear what we choose to eat and like how that affects us cognitively and just we're constantly creating we're constantly designing as we go through our mm -hmm. choices mm -hmm. So, okay, so you were in the um, New York City school system for almost a decade. Yeah. And so what, um, when, you, when you left, when you were terminated, what did that mean for you in practical terms? And to, you, you mentioned already you lost your medical benefits. Mm. Um, what's the whole package that you lost with that? So I actually am technically right now, like my, I was fired on misconduct. Um, I was not given, it's called my 3020A trial. There is a section or a clause in the New York State tenure law saying that teachers who are tenured and if they are charged with misconduct and misconduct, the four components of misconduct is um, basically molesting a child, um, bringing a firearm to work, uh, selling drugs to students, or coming to work under the influence. You are given the right to this trial. So we were charged with misconduct. We did not get this trial. We were just terminated. Um, because of the misconduct trial, technically, since I teach under art, um, it's very possible that my um, certification is discontinued. Um, which also happens under that 3020A clause that you're supposed to get that defense. Um, I basically had my health insurance cut. I'm not allowed to step foot in the schools. I'm not allowed to contact the students and let them know what happened. I'm not allowed to apply for work um, in the state of New York. And I also have something called a problem code on my fingerprint. So anywhere, any job that I have to in the state of New York have my fingerprints ran, that basically means that a problem code is going to pop up. Um, and there are some teachers that are trying to find work in Long Island and they're trying to find work in Westchester. And if their fingerprints are pulled from the city, then they are denied employment because of this mandate. Even though there's no mandate there. When, when you say that um, you're not allowed to work in the state of New York, do you mean in any... So if it, if it was a job um, that was outside of the teaching field, um, didn't require fingerprints outside of New York City, you could you could work in that. That that's what your options are now. That would be the setting, yes. Okay. So that would so that is still a possibility. Thank goodness. Um, however, you know a lot of people who are there who have been using all this time and this money and investing into their careers you know they do they would like to seek employment um you know something similar kind of um rather than i guess restarting the wheel um but you know desperate times call for desperate measures and if you have to make ends meet then you have to do what you have to do right yeah but you couldn't go back to teaching on long island for example 
supposedly there's talk about this problem code being lifted um i guess after the school year ends supposedly through an email it was stated that the problem code is only going to be there until the end of the school year because it's kind of like it's just something that the new york city department of education does to somebody if they quit mid-year so only time will tell um so many things have been said and promised um, and then they have not came to fruition in the way that they were not supposed to but the way that they were outlined so it's really just a matter of a waiting game and just seeing kind of what happens and what decision you're going to make from there it sounds like there are a lot of things that happened in this process that were just sort of um on autoplay or something you know this this is what happens when that kicks in and this is this is the uh standard procedure and that's and that's just what happened right yeah it does and then there's also too even like i feel for there's a lot of people who um they sign the waiver and because if they sign either the severance waiver or they sign the leave without pay waiver, they they were also um, met with some really unexpected uh, surprises that they can't do anything about. Like for instance, um, the leave without pay, they were supposed to have health insurance until September and a lot of people, they their health insurance was cut in April and there's no rhyme or reason and they're getting these bills in the mail that they basically... Um, they now they have to pay for and there's nothing they can do and they can't fight it because they can't sue because they they surrender their legal um i guess their legal abilities and then there's also the people with severance they were supposed to they were supposed to get their money in um february and some people didn't see a check until may and not only did they get um a lump sum check which is taxed much heavier but they also had a vaccine penalty which i think it was something like 25% of the agreement of what they were supposed to receive was garnished because of this vaccine penalty, which was not outlined in the agreement. And then they can't fight for that because they signed away their rights to sue. Right. So you're not the only one in this boat. <laughs> no, there's, um, there's thousands of teachers that are in this boat. There is even more so thousands of city workers. There's people that they work for, you know, the hospitals, Northwell, Stony Brook, um, that they're also, they're affected by this mandate as well. So uh, where has this left you financially to the extent that you want to get into that? Um, what, how are you getting by now? What are your finances like? Um, so finances are very tough. I am luckier than other people because I do have a, my, my fiance, he does have the vaccine and he is actively working. Um, you know, we do not have any children. We have two cats. Um, and it's financially like it is starting to get very, very difficult now. Um, and it is starting to get a little scary. But I also have to say that like what I did do was when I had a feeling this was coming down the pike, um, I did thankfully get a very big raise this year because I got my 30 above my master's. So the three months that I basically was, um, that I was working, I was, I was saving as much as humanly possible. Um, so that has gotten me by, but it's, uh, it's definitely, it is difficult to find work. It is difficult, um, I guess I would say, like, just 
it's it's difficult trying to figure out what you want to do and figure out like you know like there's the limiting belief of like well i was making this much so like if i was to make this much now like where would that take me but um what i am in the process of doing because i realize that this is just going to be the case wherever i go or that there's always going to be like some sort of like you know unexpected possibility that something can go wrong um i did go for my 30 above my masters in something called um health and wellness coaching and i just took the national board exam so financially it is starting to get scary but i am also looking to i i'm building my own business um i have my domain and i am looking to possibly switch careers and try to work with the trials of the times now try to work more remotely create these different options for myself and to create multiple streams of income that you know if one stream does get cut off like i have other forms coming in mm -hmm. just try to be as creative as possible because you know when you do start to realize that um the money's running out and it's getting more difficult and um you know, you do, you have to get creative or you have to figure something out. Right. You sounded like you really enjoyed working with the kids, though. Oh, yeah. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to get emotional, but I, I love the kids. Um, yeah, that was really hard. That was really, really hard. Um, and it was interesting because, like, when I was working remotely, I remember, like, I would get, like, administrators popping by to, like, see what I was doing and, like, how I was making it work, which was really cool. Um, they brought the superintendent from my district by one day um, just to kind of show, like, how everything was working out and how well they were doing. Um, I was in the school this year for five school days, and then I was taken out, and I was remote for a month. And there was a lot of comments of, like, how do you get the children to still listen to you, like, through a TV? And um, it, it really has to do with like really, really, really connecting with the kids, respecting their autonomy, and you know, just showing them that like you really do believe in them and you really do care for them and you really do love them and you want what's best for them. Um, and that is something that I can say just even looking back, talking to my partner um, about just all the things, like I created our school's logo and just even seeing, you know, children just loving it and wearing it and just everything that I did, I can say for the 10 years that I was teaching in that school was I did it for the kids and I was for the kids and I was somebody who advocated for the kids. I was an ally. I was somebody that they can come to um, when they were working through, you know, ish, uh, I don't want to say issues, but um, cons like uh, working through I would say it is an issue because it's an issue in home, but it's not an issue with me. Um, family issues of working through their identities, especially during the pandemic, finding that safe space, um, providing that safe space. You know, it did get to a point where I did have to set a boundary and I was like, I can't have kids in my room every period of the day, but they always knew I was there after work. They always knew that I was doing every art club possible. Um, so I guess just, you know, I did school, the school play for 10 years. So just kind of going from that to like, I'm not allowed in the building. Um, it's just, it was definitely for me, there was like a sense of like grief, a sense of loss because this isn't just a job for me. Um, this is something that I was passionate, I was caring, um, and that I really, really wanted to, you know, make a difference in the sense of just being somebody who was constant and showed up a certain way. And, um, you know, some of the stories that I heard from the students, I just wanted them to kind of see that, like, because that they are dependent on somebody for their life right now, it's not going to be that way and they can get out. Um, so 
yeah, that definitely, there was some worthiness too after being fired. Like I had to like, who am I? And like how attached to that part of myself am I as a teacher? Because it's been such a large part of my life. Um, and seeing other ways that, you know, like you can be worthy in other ways that like you're more than your profession. So in that sense, it was, you know, very hard, but it was also, you know, like what triggers you, it shows you what you need to work on. Mm -hmm. What was it like um, throughout the pandemic? I mean, during the, during 2021, you had all of these, uh, this whole crisis, mm. health crisis with your family and your own situation. Um, but for teachers in New York City, um, teachers in lots of places, uh, it, 2020 was a diff difficult year. Um, mm. How how did things go from, you know, over the course of the pandemic for you? It was interesting. Um, it was because it was like St. Patrick's Day. I remember being with my family and then I just remember finding out that we had, we were going, we were basically going in and we just had to, they were like, we don't know what's going to happen. Like, we don't know. Like, we just grab what you think you need and basically we'll just try to figure it out. So, um, this is 2020. This was 2020. Yeah. And it was, I remember it was very disorganized. They did not have the level of remote learning that they had for the students who chose to stay home from the 2020 one to 2022 school year so it was very like it was our school is very big there's over 150 teachers there's over 5,000 students in our school alone um so it was very difficult to coordinate like when you're going to see students how you're going to see students um and how you're going to teach them so for me I and at that that year too I had like 12 to 15 classes between three different grades so i did do the asynchronous route for the last three months of school um and basically i would have a weekly assignment i had um tutorials that i set up like if they were watching tutorials on youtube i had my office hours if they had questions um availability i also i did a lot of kind of like not i stop but a lot of you know i would draw and draw the steps and kind of give um downloadable sheets um, I was very open to if students emailed me and they're like, well, I don't have this material or I don't have that because, you know, it was especially being a material based class. Um, it was very difficult. You had some students that they had like every art supply under the sun. You had some students that they didn't even have paper and they were like, um, I'm really embarrassed. Oops. <laughs> oh, sorry. He, he does. He starts. He's like, I'm not getting attention. I'm going to start biting stuff. Is it OK? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's fine. Okay, yeah, maybe we'll leave their toshi. Um, so we had some students that they had nothing, and then we had some students that, you know, they were still waiting for the iPads from the school. So just trying to figure out and see how we can come to an agreement, whether they wrote about something, and that really helped. Um, as difficult as it was, it really helped me understand, like, you know, different, like, entry points and different ways to differentiate the arts to kind of meet the students where they're at. Um, 
So then come September 2021, I actually, I worked from home that year and I taught students from home. And that's when I had like a proper, like I was given a schedule. It's like, you're going to see this class from this time to this time. You, they have to sign on. You're going to take attendance. You're going to provide a lesson. Like, you know, um, you may get some people popping in just to check and make sure everything's going okay. And the students, they were also working from home too. So that year... It was art, but the art was a lot of it was geared towards mental health and checking in and like seeing how they're doing um, and understanding and like a lot of surveys of like, what do you have at home? What do you like to do? So that year, once that we got through those three months of uncertainty was much more coherent in a sense, because, you know, like there was a proper there was a curriculum set in place. Um, there was a, you know, there was more of like a proper schedule. Um, so it just kind of really made it very clear and concise for both the students and myself. And it also gave us like a space, um, even though it was like a, you know, a space like somewhere in like the internet, it was basically like this was the space that we were going to meet regardless of, you know, whatever was going on, regardless of like where we actually may have been, where we were working from. Um, so there was that too. And every lesson was for art. It was either, I called it traditional art, meaning using art supplies. There was a digital aspect of it that if students want to do the digital or if they're like, listen, miss, I'm so sorry, but like, I just don't like art for whatever reason. Or like, maybe they didn't want to like be creating at home or there wasn't a lot of space. And they were like, can I just have a writing option? And I was like, yeah, sure. And you know, so like, I always had that too, where like they would go onto Google Classroom, they would make a copy, they would have the site, and then they would learn how to use, um, like different types of like acronyms for writing, which kind of ties into the ENL um, to build their literacy as well. And to kind of like think on a higher order and to think more creatively and constructively about art and, you know, as a subject to kind of discuss and build their academic literacy skills. Mm -hmm. See, but those seem like just two difficult things to deal with remotely, right? Art on one hand, because it's, you know, it is a thing that deals with materials and also language learning. Yeah. Right. That's, <laughs> it's, easier to do that in person. Abs yeah, yeah, absolutely. Without, yeah, that goes without saying. Um, there, you know, there are some students that they just socially, they feel safer at home just doing their work. And you did see some students do much better. Um, a lot of students, they really struggled. Um, definitely having a camera that I can just, in the blink of an eye, it was on my face. And then I can just flip it down and be like, okay, I'm gonna draw. The biggest challenge for that was, um, the camera that I purchased, it was, it, it, for some reason, it kind of uh, projected upside down. So I had to learn how to draw and write upside down, but it was kind of like the kids would be really engaged. They were like, whoa, look at her draw that upside down. That's really good. Oh my God, she can write upside down. So as difficult as it was, like I can say the engagement was there. How did your um, relationship with the parents go? Because that's, that's an important part of interacting with your students' lives. And I imagine that a lot of the parents that you were dealing with um, maybe were not fluent English speakers or like how, how did that relationship change? So um, we, the school is very good at um, outreach. So for instance, like we did have a lot of translators on site. However, they did purchase um, 
uh, they had to purchase like an app or a software where you could basically the parents would give you their telephone number or their contact number and then we could text them in their native language. Now sometimes the translation would be a little askew but they did have kind of a support team for that that would go through and be like oh okay this is what it's supposed to say this needs to be better translated. Um, when it came to actually like speaking with the parents and you know if there were just some students that they didn't do the work they couldn't do the work um mentally they couldn't handle the pandemic on top of the work like communicating with the parents from like a perspective of like i have so much respect for them that for myself like i don't have any children yet so like being nervous about the pandemic and then like having dependence on me and then like them like them expecting me to like tell them everything's gonna be safe and it's okay when I don't know that like I just made sure that the tone when I spoke to parents was like such a level of respect understanding um you know anything like I would tell like I would ask them like is there a way or like is there a schedule of communication just so like we could work together as a team to make sure that your child thrives during this time with some sort of creative outlet um was really helpful and also the one thing I really liked about the app it's called talking points was you could send them examples of the project and you could send them like a PDF and then they could work on it with their chi their child or their children because sometimes I would have siblings that were maybe one or two years apart mm. and um that was something that was I would say not so much an issue um you know uh translation services through the doe for uh parent teacher conference they were really great too um they did tell us that they wanted us to see if parents were available for meets but a lot of parents they really they were okay with they preferred the translator there because sometimes you know if we were to meet with children on google meets um, we couldn't get a translator, so mm -hmm. it was kind of like, okay, we're trying to translate. You can teach, a, you can kind of like troubleshoot and like have um, the parents set up translation through um, closed caption or subtitles in their language. But you know, if somebody's not the most techno technologically apt, it can be very difficult. Right. Right. Yeah. So it, it seems like through um, through all of this and through all the ins and outs of the process that you went through with the mandate, your point of contact was the union more than the DOE? Was it, the, it sounded like you were dealing with the UFT a lot, the United Federation of Teachers. Yes, so technically the UFT is saying that, um, you know, it's on the fault of the DOE, but I would have to say that, you know, most of the contact was kind of like CCing the Department of Education and then kind of saying to the union like, how are you supporting us? How are you backing us? Um, and they have kind. They've made it very clear. They've made it very clear through just Facebook comments and posts, through UFT um, pages and groups, um, through what has been written in emails that they are not in support of people who. Um, they feel are not of accommodation exemption not taking the vaccine they were not in favor of us we were willing to agree for a testing option they you know basically it was well you made a choice take the vaccine or sign the waiver um but there's a lot of people even too with religious exemptions that they genuinely have valid reasons and um why they cannot or why they will not take it and it's very sad to see that it's not being recognized or that it seems like what's happening 
is a lot of people, it almost seems like they have somebody coming in and there's just kind of like a stack of exemptions and they're running through and they're just denied, 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 denied because a lot of teachers are talking about the fact that they're getting their denial letters all within like the same window at a certain period of time. So it doesn't really feel like um, through the correspondences that we're necessarily really being supported and considered in a way that, um, you know, is, I guess, I don't want to say conducive, but like in a way that maybe it's, um, like a compromise or like seeing if we can come to some sort of an agreement. Um, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like your union is not representing your position at all, representing you really. Yeah, and it's a shame because one of the things that we did say was like, you know, we do pay union dues and we, um, you know, we had an option about three or four years ago to waive our union dues and still get representation. And a lot of us who are in this predicament right now, we were like, no, we want to keep paying for the union. Like, we think the union is important. Like, they will fight for us. Um, you know, this is why you get a unionized job so that these you know issues i guess like today wouldn't be happening but then it's kind of it feels like they they did turn their backs on us so you know it's, it's very difficult right now i can't really say anything definite because i don't know what's going on behind the scenes but the lack of and convolution of information doesn't really make me feel optimistic about the uft being on my side mm. have you found advocates in other areas, um, <laughs> political, legal, etc. Yeah, so supposedly, um, the, supposedly the, I guess the upcoming New York State elections, um, I've heard both Giuliani and I've heard Zeldin speak and they're both talking about, um, potential like lifting of the mandate and back pay but that's something you know at the end of the day too like you always you you can't really like put all your eggs in one basket you just have to wait and see what comes about and what comes to fruition um there is also somebody an advocate that we have been working with that she is very well versed in 3020a um cases and she's been doing it for over 20 years her name is betsy colombier and she has been very very helpful um she has a site it's called advocates.com and she has a wealth of information um there's also a guy his name is greg fisher and Greg Fisher has also been not just helping the teachers, but anyone affected by the mandate and just trying to kind of see where people are at and like what our rights are and what is a next step. And from what I'm gathering from these advocates is it doesn't, and just from what I feel is that this, this just doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't feel fully legal. It doesn't feel like it's being handled in the way that it's being represented in the media. How is it being represented in the media? Um, it seems like the way it's being represented and seems to me the way that the narrative, it's been ever changing, but what it's been is that like we were given all of these options basically. And through these options, like we're choosing to be fired. There is actually, um, and it's very difficult because, you know, we have, for instance, um, the, I believe it was the basketball players and the, uh, the actors, 
they're pretty much like they were above the mandate and they were able to go to work and it's like well what about like the actors have to kiss or basketball players like they're not social distancing you can't social distance and play basketball so then fast forward um the subway bombing that happened in brooklyn basically because of that then the pba um which is the police officers union they basically said like you know we're not we're not firing our unvaccinated workers like it's just not happening um and then after that the mta came out and the mta was like not only are we not we're are we not firing our unvaccinated workers but we're also going to drop the weekly testing like it's just it's not happening so now what i've been seeing down the pike is they are trying to create an opportunity for us to be reinstated if with i believe back pay i may have seen if we take the first dose by june 30th and the second dose by um august of this year so there is it's like it seems like the only option right now is either like take the vaccine or your quality of life is just going to be very difficult which that does remind me and my brain connects to when that i was going to the office back in september to get my um basically to get my waiver to go back to work to say that you know i'm okay to go back to work um i asked them to put in there i was like my doctor said that i can't take the vaccine for 90 days and the lady's like oh yeah that's true so she wrote it in and then basically the doctor saw the note and he called her and he was like, take that out. He was like, I don't want liability. And I remember hearing them arguing. She's like, but it's true. And he was like, but I'm not going to lose my job over this. He's like, take it out of the note and just say she's okay to go back to work. So I went up to the doctor and I was like, um, listen, I was like, I basically, I was like, why didn't you put that in there? And he was like, well, cause you have to take the vaccine. And I was like, but you're not my actual doctor. I was like, so how can you prescribe that to me? And he was like, listen, he was like, um, he was like, he's like, they're just saying to take the vaccine. So I said, well, can you provide to me a reason that is medically beneficial if I have natural antibodies and something that is not political? And he was just like, honestly, he said, they are going to make your life difficult if you don't take this vaccine. He said, you need to take the vaccine. He said, you're not gonna be able to go out to eat. You're not gonna be able to go to the movies. He said, they're gonna make it impossible for you. He said, you might even lose your job. And I was like, well, I said, okay. I said, that's not really scientific, but thank you, doctor. I said, I'll take my note. And that was it. And I never went back to that office. So this was not, what was this physician's relationship to? So to this you? was the office that I tested positive for COVID-19. Okay. So, so I, I had to get a right. waiver in order to go. I had to get like, basically it was like a health waiver saying mm -hmm. that I was clear to go back to work so that I could go and I could teach if I was feeling better post-infection period. So this was not someone you typically saw, the, this no. doctor? Yeah, yeah, this was just the doctor of the practice because at that time, the narrative was different. Now it's, you take a PCR test, you test positive, you go take a test in five days, you see if the test comes up negative. When that I tested positive back in September, if you test positive, there was something on the Department of Health paperwork saying that depending on your antibody load, you're actually not supposed to test for 90 days. So there was like, so it's just, it's very interesting too, to see how things have changed over such a short period of time, I guess I would say, like, it just feels like the, like the new reality is constantly and ever changing and the narrative is constantly and ever changing. So coming back full circle, now you have, um, 
now there's talk of the teachers are supposed to be getting a notice in July saying that if we take the vaccine, we'll be reinstated, um, which unfortunately is not an option for me because I just took an antibodies test. And the when I took an antibodies test the last time I had health insurance, it was 23, it came back. And I took a test last week and it came back at 2200. So my PCP was like, you don't need the vaccine. She was like, your antibodies are really high. They're at the level of people who have both doses and have had COVID, who have the hybrid immunity. So unfortunately, even if they, the letter does come out down the pike, like my antibodies are not going to drop before then. So that's just, that's my personal predicament. And that's unfortunately the route that I'm going to have to take. Mm -hmm. So, you, you said that you're, um, so even if, even if, uh, like later in the fall, you can't, you, you can't take a vaccine then. So what my plan is, is I am honestly, um, I'm just going to keep taking antibodies tests if through insurance. It has to be every three months or you have to pay $150 out of pocket. And unfortunately with not having a job, I can't afford to pay $150 every month just to test my antibodies. Right. So come the fall, I'll take the test. If the antibodies do significantly drop, um, you know, that's, that's another decision that I will have to have um, or another decision I'll have to make, a conversation I'll have to have with my doctor. But in the meantime, you know, I'm just gonna, continue in the direction that I'm continuing. And I feel kind of, if this is the end with the Department of Education, meaning like I do not return as a teacher, I know that no matter what field I'm going to end up in, I'm going to end up in a field that I'm going to help people. And um, that's just, that's part of my nature. Um, if down the line, you, you took a test and, you know, your antibody levels were lower mm -hmm. and there, there was still a mandate for, you know, in the teaching field or in whatever field you wanted to work in in place. Would you, would you consider taking a, a vaccine or have you been turned off to it through all of this? Has <laughs> it, how, how has your view of the vaccine evolved over time? Um, from, I would say right now, um, I'm definitely, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little turned off by just the way that life has been. It just feels like a, almost like a parallel universe. But um, in the same token, I don't know what will happen because every time I've taken the test, they've like tripled. So I don't, I have to wait and I have to see because, you know, it could be something as simple as like when you come into contact with somebody, does that make your antibodies go up? Like these are things that like we have to kind of, keep on following, I guess, like the medical journals and seeing what they're saying. Um, but in terms of the vaccine itself, like I've never had any issues with anybody who wants to take it. Um, I'm somebody who believes in complete medical freedom, meaning that like I do not, like I do not think that something should be absolute, like this should not be available because I don't think it's right for somebody else. I think that the conversation between the patient and the doctor is sacred in determining what is best for someone's health. Um, I don't know what someone else has been through, what their experiences are. Um, you know, maybe there's somebody who knows someone who died and they did not take the vaccine. So it gives them like that sense of safety. So 
in terms of the vaccine for the like available to the public, I think it's great. Um, I also think that there are people who have a lot of pre-existing conditions and maybe they don't have the healthiest of lifestyles. So the vaccine would be a more effective way for them to, um, you know, basically build the antibody load so that they can fight COVID if they were to come into contact with it versus somebody who maybe follows like a more holistic lifestyle and they feel like their body can fight off COVID-19 on its own because of the measures that they've taken for so long. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, does that answer your question? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're um, beyond your own personal situation with the mandate, you're opposed to mandates in principle. Correct. Yeah. 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 Um, did you, when the, when the vaccine first came out, did you have a positive impression of it? Did you think, oh, this oh. is great, this, you know, this will solve all our problems? Or what was your first impression? Um, I thought that it could be something great. I was a little concerned with something that was so new. Um, I'm still concerned with the fact that we are taking PCR tests and we are taking antibodies tests that still have this emergency youth authorization emergency use authorization mm -hmm. that um is basically still there after two years we're still you know it's concerning to me as somebody who like i don't take advil you know i'm somebody who like i am completely as natural as possible um but it's concerning to me that this is something that um it's still under emergency use and it's being mandated. So I think before I even had the feelings of optimism, I was more concerned with like the way this was being pushed. Um, I think that if it wasn't pushed and it was available, I would have maybe felt um, better toward it. And I would have felt like, oh, this is a great idea. You know, like maybe this is something that like, let me see, like, let me talk to my doctor and like, let me see if I can get it. But the fact that it's just something that um, has such a negative connotation to it because it's like, this is the only way to not die. Um, it's a little scary to me. And it's a little, it's a little concerning in that sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you make of the, uh, the public health arguments, um, especially about teachers, you know, people saying, well, everyone who's around children should get vaccinated because it reduces the mm. um, transmissibility of the virus. Um, we have, you know, you have a responsibility to protect children, mm. therefore everyone, and you know, for teachers and just this argument is made for society in general, right? That everyone mm. should, uh, do everything they can to reduce harm by taking the vaccine. What do you what do you think about those arguments? Yeah, I definitely I went back and forth with that. And I think that like, if this vaccine was approved, and it was not under EUA, and when because I did actually go and I looked at the paperwork. And like, if you do have a contraindication, like the vaccine company is not liable. So that's a little so there are these things that I see in the verbiage that I feel like it's too soon. Like if they, if the COVID-19 vaccine is kind of, if it's worked out, it's deemed safe for public, um, and it's something that's not under that EUA, then I could, that I could totally understand. But it's just, it's to me, again, it's, it's, it's concerning that even like when Omicron came out, there was talk about changing the formula without even testing it. So it's um there's that aspect of it and there's the actual aspect and experience of 
seeing people who are boosted, double boosted teachers that they still got COVID and they still caught COVID. Like after, I want to say, um, when my fiance went back to his job in January after the Christmas break, there was something like 50 to 55 teachers out. Like, so all because they caught COVID-19 and at that point during infection, if it was after the break, then theoretically you can't argue that it's the children who were not vaccinated that were spreading because, you know, there are people that they caught COVID and they were around their entire vaccinated family. So how does that pan out and how does that work? And does it really like at that point, like when is it about public health and, um, you know, like what is the narrative at that point? Mm-hmm. So you're saying tell me if you don't if you don't want to get into this but you're, you're saying that your fiance is also a teacher um he is not a teacher but he is a city worker okay yes. so he's uh, so so in her, his workplace he's seeing a lot of vaccinated people who are catching who are testing positive or absolutely becoming ill or yeah mm-hmm. okay absolutely right so yeah so definitely where he's i want to um even like some of my teacher friends, like every single teacher friend that I've had that has taken the vaccine has had COVID at least once. So, and then I have friends that they work, let's say even um, like as home attendants and whatnot, and they took two boosters and they've caught COVID at least once. And I do know some people who have caught COVID twice. So it's um at that point, you know, even with the narrative of the vaccine, first it was, you will not catch COVID if you take the vaccine. And then it was, you won't get COVID really bad if you take the vaccine, or you're going to need to boost so you don't catch COVID. And now it's basically, or not even now, it, then it was, if you take the vaccine, you will not die from COVID. Um, But now in the news, you're seeing something called breakthrough deaths, and they're seeing that there is an increasing number of vaccinated and boosted individuals that are still dying of COVID. So it's just, it's very confusing now. And it's something that, um, like I said, I don't really try to like think too much into the future because that hasn't really helped me in the past six months. It's better to kind of like entertain both sides of the information, see what's being released, and then make my decision when the time comes based on the information that I've gathered over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you, what do you see um, just in the kind of public discussion, not in the media mm-hmm. or, um, you know, with UFT officials or something, but just yeah. like people that you know, former colleagues, was there a lot of, controversy um among teachers about Mm. the mandates about the vaccines do you do you get a lot of um you know difference of opinion from uh you know people that you know or or used to work with yes there's definitely so there when i i remember it's interesting so i had um so somebody one of my colleagues found out that i caught covid and you know fine you caught covid it's all good But then when he found out that I caught COVID, but I was not vaccinated, even though I wasn't super sick from it, it was like, well, what's the matter? Just go out and take it. Why wouldn't you do this for, you know, it's just, just in case, like, and I was like, but it was fine that I had COVID and the symptoms weren't terrible, but I guess it's like that concept of like the unvaccinated being a carrier. 
um, which I remember, I forgot which court case I read it, but um, one of the court cases that's going on, basically someone reached out to the CDC and was like, how many cases of unvaccinated individuals who had COVID were um, basically carriers after and they were like oh we didn't study that and we have no data to support that information so that's also like i'm not a conspiracist but when i do see the way that things are written i'm like i always do question and i'm like hmm i wonder so going back to the colleagues um there were a lot of colleagues who took the vaccine to keep their job there were a lot of colleagues who compared it to like their body being violated because they really really did not want it and they were really like you know I feel like I'm healthy enough that if I catch COVID or if I test positive for COVID that I'm not going to die um there are people who are responsible um that they just take weekly tests anyway to make sure that they're not spreading um a lot of people who were a who were for the vaccine or were very scared when COVID first came out and thought everyone should be vaccinated, their opinions have changed. And they're like, what's going on? It's been two years. Like we take this vaccine. Now we have to take a booster every six months. The masks aren't working. The lockdowns aren't working. The mandates aren't working. This isn't going away. This is getting ridiculous. So there's also that end of it too. Um, I don't think I've met anybody who has not taken the vaccine that well no that's a lie um majority of people who have not taken the vaccine like they're not like oh you know like let me um like i like i was crazy for not thinking this like maybe i should the only person i can say that i do feel and rightfully so um my mother-in-law or my fiance's mother she's somebody who you know she she lost her husband and she was basically she was like okay she was like you know what she was like i don't want this to happen to me like i need to take care of myself i need to do this and you know that was her decision and she feels you know better she feels great after taking it so it's really it's about your decision and your decision with your doctor but you're kind of saying you're seeing a shift in public opinion in New York. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. A lot of people are seeing that, um, you know, even with the, uh, even with like the whole indoor outdoor seating, like there was even the points where people who were not vaccinated, they were not allowed to go indoors. Um, you know, there have been a couple of times too that like I was kicked out of restaurants, even though I had doctor's notes, exemption notes, I had antibodies notes and they were like, oh no, like you can't be in here, you have to leave. And you know, if a mandate's a mandate and they don't want to get fined, like I totally, I understood. So I was like, okay, fine, no problem. Um, but there were people who were still testing positive for COVID. And this was even like when there was like a huge kind of like separation between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And it was like, how is this happening? Um, there was a situation where there was a school party and basically everybody who was there was vaccinated. And one of the teachers she ended up she took like a pcr and she took a rapid test the rapid test came up negative and then when she got home after the party the pcr came up negative uh positive so she had to call and she had to let everybody know like hey i tested positive i was at the party and you know even with that like too just kind of like 
the discrepancies in the test because they're under emergency use and spreading that way too like that's also that is a possibility i think that was like kind of eye-opening for some people like how is it a party of you know like 60 vaccinated people and then one person goes they're not aware and then next thing you know like because you think like i'm vaccinated um i can't get covid like they're sharing drinks and whatnot and then who gets sick from it so you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. You just see all of these situations that they don't necessarily, I guess, like align with what you see in the news, align with what's being represented in the media. And you, you just kind of, if you have the time, you know, sit there and question it. Like I have the time because unfortunately, like I'm out of work. So I'm like, oh, okay, you know, does this make sense? Does this feel right? Whereas unfortunately because so many people were taken out of work you know the people who are working like they're just so inundated with additional responsibilities on top of covid regulations on top of like if this teacher was pulled out of the school so like there's coverages um galore um teaching extra classes because you know who's out with covid even though the teachers are vaccinated even though you know um the city workers are vaccinated mm -hmm, mm -hmm coverages being when you're covering for a teacher who's not there correct yeah, yeah so sorry there's like these terms <laughs> in my head these this jargon that like to me i'm like oh this is as clear as day but um, <laughs> i guess not <laughs> so yeah so coverages are essentially like when there's a teacher absent and they can't they don't there's not a substitute that can fill the class so the teachers will get something called a coverage slip and then they go and they cover the class and you know there's there's contractual stuff toward it that like either you're like depending on like and contingent upon like how often it happens how many you get throughout the um, first and second half of the year and how the duration of the coverage like how many minutes it is like do you get compensated or not mm -hmm. yeah when it comes to politics and political representation um how has all of this um, changed your thinking or made your thinking evolved or maybe it hasn't changed your thinking what, what do you think now <laughs> okay so um i technically yeah so as i was saying i brought up before um giuliani and zeldin i happened to just see them speak not because i went to a political rally but because i went to an anti-mandate rally and um you know i heard what they had to say i've never been somebody who um actually affiliates with a political party i kind of really take each i guess issue and try to think independently um and at the end of the day you know everybody whatever party they affiliate with however they feel we all want what's best for the greater good we all want what, what we think is best but from my personal opinion i just think the best thing that we can do is the way that it's work on the way that we show up work on ourselves not be so hyper focused on what others need to do or what needs to be done so that others can have the right to do this and then the way that we move authentically through our days it does create this ripple effect for the people around us um which that does sound you know there's not really like any i guess political backing in that and it's something that you know i honestly like i don't even vote for the president because it's a popular vote it doesn't have anything to do with who's going in office what it has to do with is our congress people and who we vote in at the local level so that's kind of more where i'm focused um i always thought myself to be more centered but seeing just the inflation prices, just seeing like unemployment going up, just seeing what's going on in this country. I, 
I would really have to sit and think more about like, would I still see myself as centered or would I start to move in a different direction again when the time comes? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you are kind of prioritize more local politics <laughs> over national politics. That seems more like a more fruitful thing to be engaged in for you. I think so. Yeah, because I think that there's like, there's a way and there's a process to do things. And I think that you can see more change when you do, you know, kind of like start at a lower level and then maybe somebody who has more wisdom than I do, like they could speak more on behalf of national politics and they can speak more on behalf of worldly politics. But um, from my experience that I've had in life right now, I feel like my vote and my views are more effective on the local level and in the local communities. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the protest movement? You've gone to some of the rallies and... Mm, so yeah, I've went, I've always been a little nervous, um, <laughs> but they've been very peaceful and they have, and the ones that I have attended have been really clear about what's going on and um they've been very clear about the fact that the people who did not take the vaccine were not anti-vaccine we're anti-mandate um that's just uh anti-vaxxers is just thrown around in the media so that's also and that's that's something that everybody that i've spoken to who is there you know even if we don't believe in the vaccine for ourselves or we don't feel that we need the vaccine then it's still okay for it to be available to people who feel like they need it whereas the opposite and with the mandates like we don't care what you think you need we don't care what the discussion is with your doctor like we're prescribing this to you as like the one size fits all kind of um band-aid to put on this issue mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to touch on yeah, so like going to these mandates and just listening to people talking about the vaccine and people being pulled out of the school without even telling the children like, where are these people going? Or um, I just I guess just in general, like having like less coverage. Um, it's like what's really safe for the kids at this point? Like because what's going on in the schools is we have shortages, we have terrible stories of these people that are not should not be with children that are in schools as bodies um there are emails that were sent out saying that um basically if there's incompetence on the behalf of a sub just to kind of like excuse it or a new teacher because they're so desperate um there have been cases of people using the school system and using this as an opportunity to like um child sex traffic children like there have been horrific stories of what i've been hurt what i've been told going on in the schools um there are you know there are ch there's shortages of teachers where children are being herded into the auditorium they're not getting stable education so it's kind of like it really does make you ask like you know at the cost of this mandate like the mental health of the children, the stability, um, you know, their academic growth, like what is helping and what is hurting them? Mm -hmm. If you were queen <laughs> and, uh, and you had this whole pandemic situation unfold, uh, how would you have handled it from, from a public policy um, perspective in the schools? What, what do you think that government should have done in the schools? Um, to handle the situation? 
would say since that the school did give all the kids who needed iPads, iPads, having that remote option that they had last year and then finding a way to, if they were concerned that teachers weren't doing their jobs, like finding a way to measure that. If, um, you know, if people and just kind of figuring out this remote opportunity, which is the way that, you know, our lives are headed, that it's just, it's a more kind of virtual world. And then the parents who wanted their students in school, then they could, you know, have that option as well. Um, rather than, you know, forcing a mandate, forcing the shortage. Um, you know, the contracts, the teachers' contracts have already pretty much been um, disregarded in the sense of this mandate. So like, even kind of redrawing up a teacher's contract and saying like, okay, if you are gonna teach at home and remotely, like maybe your class size will be bigger so they didn't need as many teachers at home may have been, um, a better way to handle this because it's it's very interesting to me to see you know just in my like going out into public and seeing people getting angry that people are getting too close to them or yelling at them that they're not wearing a mask and it's like you know it's difficult because it's like if you don't feel safe then you know like you, you stay home like we like it's new york city like we have all these delivery services so for the parents that don't want their students to go to school they're concerned about them like we did have the remote option for a year and it did for many teachers who spoke about it like it did work and it is something that it was a first time you know i don't want to say experiments but it was something that we all tried our best with and i think that if there was some funding put into that as an option then it may have alleviated a lot of the safety issues that we're seeing in the schools now mm -hmm. So basically you're saying um, giving people more options so that they can decide how to deal with a crisis like that themselves. Absolutely. And honestly, like creating new possibilities because it may not work. Like I may be very wrong and this is off the top of my head and this may be like an absolutely terrible idea that would crash and burn. Um, but, you, but we have a system that's not working. And we're just repeating the same thing in the system, which is the definition of insanity, rather than trying to create these new opportunities and these new possibilities and kind of move in the direction that the world could potentially be headed in. When you say we have a system that's not working, are you speaking more generally about the New York uh, public school system? Not just the public school system, but just like a lot of like the city entities as well. Even like just looking at like, I mean, I'm so, like just I'm somebody who's been to a bunch of different countries. Like I've been to socialist countries, so like I do know like that model can work. I've been to more liberal countries, so I know that model can work. I've been to countries that are considered third world countries, and I've seen the way that they kind of disseminate their funding, and it's completely different than the system in New York City. So things like um you know, like I've seen how education could be even on a lower budget. I've seen how like our travel, like the MTA system could be and how it could be managed, but like the way that the system and the funds are dispersed, it's just, it's, it's not working. It's not working, I would say on a citywide level. Um, it's just even like the facilities of the schools themselves, like even just like seeing how like these grants are thrown around and these things happen, like, you know, like something like, I don't know, maybe um, a sound system in a school, like you get a grant for that. And just because that the system is like, okay, let me just take this new sound system and put it to these old 
wires and then it's going to kind of short out the entire school and then all of this money went to nothing and it only hurts the kids at the end of the day and I know that sounds like a very random thing but that is like you know a story that I have heard about just like the way that these things are um the way that these things are operated and handled like I know we can do better um it's just it's really difficult because it's like how on such a large scale and for that I don't have the answer but continuing doing what's not working I can tell you is definitely not the answer and trying to find ways to create these possibilities and create like just new just you know new methods and kind of new methodologies might be something that could be beneficial for the future even though it will take a while to kind of evolve and work out the kinks mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well is there is there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we wrap it up um no i actually i'm very i'm thankful for this opportunity to have a place and a space to i guess voice my experience um and again at the end of the day like all that we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out what we think is best for you know our future generations so again i thank you for allowing me to um i guess share my perspective <laughs>